Welcome to Coach's Corner, where we speak with other coaches and others who inspire, move, and motivate people to action. Listeners will learn about coaching and the many coaching niches and have an opportunity to ask questions of the many wonderful coaches who are my guests. I'm Coach Andrew Porritz from Ingenuity Coaching. I help people to discover and fulfill their passions and greatness. My mission is to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams and with my coaching, help you to manifest those dreams into reality. You can visit my website at www.myfuturecoach.com. If you want to call in with a question, the phone number is 646-929-2893. You'll be able to listen to the show on the phone. And if you press the number one, that will let me know you want to ask a question. We also have a live chat room right on the show page where you can feel free to join in. My guest tonight is entrepreneur, business coaching expert, and strategist Paul Lemberg, who is the president of Excellus uh, Consulting, Advanced Business Acceleration for Entrepreneurs. I've known Paul for 18 years, and I'm very pleased to have him on my show tonight. He's authored several books, including Faster Than the Speed of Change and Be Unreasonable, the links to which are included on the show page for your convenience. And he has appeared in front of many eager audiences of budding entrepreneurs looking for guidance from someone who's actually done it. You can learn more about Paul at www.lemberg.com. And let me see if I can get Paul back on the line. Paul, uh, Paul, is that you? Drew, how are you? I'm excellent. Glad to have you on board. Well, thank you. I'm glad. Well, I'll let you know we have a, a lot of people have called in tonight. The good. switchboard That's is lit good. up. Make them more interesting. As, absolutely. So we have a, a bunch of people on the switchboard. Actually, I have somebody who is. Uh, I, well, uh, I told know. about forty thousand people to come. So. Ah, forty thousand of your nearest and dearest friends. Forty thousand of the people I know and love. Ah, it's awesome. So just to let anybody know who's uh, out there, if you are on, if you have called in. Our switchboard right now is actually filled up with people. If you have a question for Paul at any time, press 1 on the phone, and that will put a magic little hand up, which tells me that you have a question. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of uh, numbers. I can see where you're calling from, but I won't know you have a question unless you press number 1 on your keyboard. So first of all, Paul, so you have quite a a history. Uh, I've known you for a very long time, and uh, I've read more about you in the last couple of years, but why don't you tell us a little bit about some of your background as a as an entrepreneur? Okay, I um, I, you know, I had a couple of corporate jobs as many people often do, and I was actually working at General Electric, and I was in my mid twenties, and I had this realization that I was probably not cut out to run General Electric, and I was never going to get offered the job. And that had me decide that I really wanted to have my own company. And I started with a business partner, and we went off and found a software company, which was called uh, Henco Research. And this was a classic case of entrepreneurs who have no idea what they're doing except a good idea. And our idea was good enough that we probably made every possible mistake. In fact, I draw on that resource now when I'm speaking because I always tell stories about it. I said, look, you know what, you actually make every one of these mistakes and still survive. And we were very close to bankruptcy and ended up getting bought, sold our company for a really nice price. And to this day, I've never fully understood why they paid us as much as they did. 
because Billy could have stolen the company from us. But uh, that was my first company. I we sold that company to a larger software company and ended up turning around and starting another one. I had a non-compete, but at one point they violated my non-compete on their side, started another software company right off the hop and uh, did the exact same thing, sold that to a German bank. So that was how I got started. And I have to say, you know, the first experience was I didn't know anything. And by the second experience, I actually knew something, but not as much as you would think. And, uh, but, but that's what got me started. I ended up going from there into the consulting arena. I thought that would be intellectually stimulating and, and it would be exciting. And, and it actually was. It was uh, I, had a great, I had a couple of great jobs working for a couple of think tanks. We did market research, did all sorts of corporate strategy for large technology firms, and it was all very exciting. And one day, I woke up and I realized that I had no passion for the people I was working for. We were, we were doing good work and making a difference, but you know, you add 50 million there, 100 million there to a $5 billion company's bottom line, and ultimately no one notices. Nobody's life changed. Nothing really happens in the long-term fortunes of the company. And I realized in the 90s, that the thing that I cared about more than anything was entrepreneurs and entrepreneurism and risk-taking and helping other people, people, not companies, but people, be successful. And I ended up walking out on, you know, as far as this go, I had a great job. And I just, I walked out in the middle of it and set up my shingle as a for entrepreneurs. Right, so let me ask you, that you went through all this experience on your own, basically, and did not have the, the, I would imagine, somebody like yourself in your corner. Would that be correct? That's correct. I had a partner who knew about as much as I did, maybe a little more. He was a few years older, so, so he what, knew a little more. But his, entre- his, entrepreneurial, his entrepreneurial experience was exactly equal to mine. <laughs> so what, what do you think might have been the difference for you if you had had a Paul Lemberg um, helping you accelerate your business back then? Oh, gosh. I mean, we wouldn't have gone bankrupt. <laughs> Seriously. I, we had a company that was on a great trajectory, and, but it had some fundamental flaws, which anybody who really understood anything could have seen. You know, there were some real structural issues, not, not with how we were running our business, but with how our business was conceived. And today, I would see that in about 30 seconds. And so having somebody who does what I do, somebody like me, look at that business then would have been awesome. But I'll tell you something. We were, at the time, I looked at consultants and outsiders as the absolute enemy. Hmm. We had an accountant who was, who was crazy. We had, and we were beset. We were selling to large international banks. And these banks, and they, I'm sure they still are, but at the time, everybody was armed with their entire team of consultants. You know, they had McKinsey guys and Price Warehouse guys, and, and they had teams of these guys. And these people were the enemy for us. So, I mean, that was one context, but now if you flip it around, the idea of bringing in outsiders into our business was just, I, I couldn't even conceive of it. Plus, people like us didn't exist. There were large consultants working in big companies who charged millions of dollars to large corporations, and there was nobody who was providing the kind of business advice that you and I provide to, to smaller companies. There was nobody providing it at that level. It just didn't even exist. There was no to make it work. So you're something of a, of a, of a pioneer. 
I was definitely a pioneer. I started doing what was known as what became known as coaching in 1992. And there had been, um, there were executive coaches, and, and they were even starting to be personal coaches. But they were definitely not business coaches. And when I hung out my shingle, I started calling it business coaching. I'll tell you how I got started. I was on a plane. I was sitting up in front, and I was sitting next to a, a guy who was an investment, as it turns out, was an investment banker. One of the great things about sitting in first class is you talk to the people next to you, and they're doing things, and you can create business relationships. So you can, you know, you can actually justify the whole and I'm sitting up front talking to this guy. He's an investment banker, and he's telling me about his life. You know, people open up, and he's telling me about his objectives and, and his financial goals and his career goals. And I told him, and I said, you know what? You need a coach. I didn't know what I was saying. I said, you need a coach. And he said, turns to me, and he said, you know what? I do. I do need a coach. So now there were two of us that so didn't know what we were talking about. <laughs> he said, where would I find such a coach? And I said, I'll do it. <laughs> so he was my first customer, and it was, you know, it was a hobby thing. I wasn't doing it. I, it was just a little thing on the side. It had nothing to do with my real work. But he was my customer, and over the course of time, I picked up a few people like that. And I didn't really have a name for what I was doing. I just started calling it business coaching. So I don't know. I'm sure other people had the same epiphany somewhere along the way. You know, good ideas tend to surface in multiple places all at the same time. Sure. And uh, But... But as far as I know, I was a business coach I ever knew. Indeed. Well, you're the, that's the earliest I've heard of, uh, of one coming around. Yeah, and that wasn't, you know, I started doing it full-time in 1990, late 95, early 96. I, I'm, I'm not completely sure. But it was then, and I, so I started calling myself a business coach, and people would say, what that? And then I'd have to explain the whole thing. Now... I don't call myself a business coach anymore. I tend to refer to myself as a business advisor. And when I describe what I do, people say, oh, that's like a business coach. So you see, we've come full circle. Yeah, what, what would you say is really the, the difference uh, in coaching versus business advising? I charge a lot more. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, I mean, but serious, think about that for a minute. This is a very serious point. Because business coaching, see, everything that we do, business coaching or anything else, there's a pretty much a frame of reference for everything. And there's a pricing frame of reference for everything. So if you are in the frame, then you're typically expected to price within the frame. And while you certainly can price outside of the frame, it's a little harder. So I just change the terminology or call it something else and charge more. Now, I, I don't want to say that it's apples and apples. It's, I don't think it is. But from a marketing perspective, if you want to charge more, the best thing you can do is break the frame. Okay, break the frame. So that's like kind of a little bit of a buzz, a buzz expression we could take from this. Could we could we could coin that right now? I think we're, we're coining it right now. Breaking the frame. That right. might be the title that's of good. the next I'm book. Write it down. I I think it's certainly going to be the title of a blog post. Absolutely, that's awesome. If nothing else. Okay, so breaking the frame, and, and how, does, how does one break the frame? As you just simply state it to be so? Yeah, so in, in, in marketing, you know, in terms of positioning what you're doing, you can't, again, this is just a, a way that I think about how you communicate what you do. 
what you do has a well-established frame of reference for anything, you know, how you conduct it, pricing, and so on, mm -hmm. then if you call yourself something that is that frame, people get all bent out of shape when you try to do something that violates it. So from a naming perspective, we break the frame by simply giving it a new name. Wow. You know, I, was, I started selling business coaching at a time when there were personal coaches, and personal coaches were, they were kind of helping employees, that sort of thing. Uh, people weren't hiring life coaches yet. They were, you know, they, were helping, they were helping employees, and they were helping people sort of figure out the direction they wanted to take, so that is kind of what life coaching is now. Um, there, isn't, there are no more personal coaches. People don't call it that anymore. So there were personal coaches, and then there were executive coaches. And executive coaches help people with leadership and communications and that sort of thing. And I didn't do any of that. You know, my friends, I ended up going into the, the business because I, my friends were urging me to become a coach. And I said, I'm not interested. I don't care about people's problems. And, and I, but what I did care about was them grow their businesses. So instead of being a, like a problem-solving coach, it was like be a business coach. So that was kind of a frame thing. But now it's, there is a certain pricing perspective. So you step outside it. Once you step outside of it, you give it a new name. I'm doing that with one of my clients right now, where the thing that they do, and I'm not going to go into detail, the thing that they do is not perceived very highly. So one of the items that we're doing in the business is we're renaming it, and we're talking about it as if it's something completely different, when in reality it's a lot of the same stuff. We just take it, we do it from a different perspective. So it's something worth thinking about, which is that if there are already, if there's already a well-developed set of associations with whatever it is you call your business, and what you're doing, it goes outside of that set of associations, and, and there's a disconnect for people. It's right; they think of it one way because they already have a pre-framed, you know, it's it's like a pre-frame of reference. They already have that. They already have a package of associations. Once you stick your label on it, you know, the the normal label. So hey, this is easy. Let's just stick a different label on it. So that's what breaking the frame is. Okay, I really, I really like that. I, that's going to be uh, something I'm going to be thinking about for a little while. So sure. how, how, it's a how? Idea. What's that? It's a useful idea. Very useful idea. So a, this is a very useful Paul Lemberg idea. So we're just we're, we're giving you credit right now. Cool. In case, in case in case anybody wants to steal it, it's a Paul Lemberg idea breaking the frame. So, one of the things we were talking about um, before the show was uh, how can coaches today? Uh, uh, how could you accelerate a coach's business? How could a co uh, coaching business have acceleration, have a bigger type of clientele? So those are two different things, okay. uh, or they're not necessarily the same thing. Let's say that. Right? You just said, how can a coach accelerate their business? Mm -hmm. You also asked, how can they have a, a bigger clientele now? We, do we bigger clientele, do we mean more clients? Or by bigger clientele, do we mean work with bigger clients? Which working with bigger clients is what I actually meant to say. Okay. So working with bigger clients, I'll tell you, I believe working with bigger clients is easy. And a lot of it has to do with how coaches think about themselves. So in other words, if you think of yourself as a small business person, 
if you think of yourself as uh, as having limited, you know, it depends on what you think. Well, you know, I don't want to make all these suppositions for people, but the gist of it is this: if you think about yourself in a small frame of reference, it's going to be pretty hard to help people with a large frame of reference. So I just met with a guy who uh, is the CEO of a multi-billion-dollar organization. And I asked for a fair amount of money for it to meet with him for a day. And it was a go-see. Uh, you know what I mean by a go-see? Yeah. It, was, uh, it wasn't a commitment, a long-term relationship. It was for us to check each other out and see if we liked each other enough to work together. It was one of those deals. And so I was asking for a fair amount of money for the day. And the woman who was arranging the thing said, wow, you know, he's going to get sticker shock. And I said, well, that's okay. I said, that's the, that's the price. You know, let right. me show up. That's what it's going to be. She says, you're only going to be here for a few hours. I said, I'm not sure that has anything to do with it. So she said, well, how do you justify it? I said, well, let's look at it like this. And I knew what this man was compensated. It's a public company. And I had looked up his compensation, including the value of all his stock options for the year. And I said, you know, I said, if we look at it, he's making about $7,000 a day. I said, so I said, that would be the absolute least I could possibly charge. And it really has to be more than that. Because frankly, if you're earning that much a day, would you want to take advice from somebody who was earning less? So it's a frame of reference, right? So to me, you, you know, you meet people as peers. And you're going to meet people as peers, whether they're running small businesses, or you're going to meet them as peers, whether they're running large businesses. So if you think of yourself as somebody who's a peer to somebody who's earning $100,000 a year, then that's pretty much the kind of company that you can serve. If you see yourself as a peer to the CEO running a multi-billion dollar organization, well, that's a good place to start. So that's mm -hmm. the first thing. And that can't do anything else until you see yourself there. So if you want to coach millionaires, doesn't matter how big their businesses are, you know, if you want to coach millionaires, you've got to see yourself as a millionaire. Otherwise, why should a millionaire listen to you exactly? Right? Right. Most, many of the people, many of the people who are coaches, now this is the sad fact, most, I'm going to say most, business coaches in the United States earn less than $40,000 a year. Did you know that? I did not know that. Scary number, isn't it? Um, yeah. So if you earn forty thousand dollars a year, should you be coaching millionaires? I don't know. It's a it's a question. So you have to be able to wrap your brain around where you stand. You have to be able to wrap your brain around the value that you create. Because if you're only if you're only earning forty thousand a year. Should a millionaire listen to you? So I'm not saying yes or no, by the way, but okay. I'm saying that for many, for many people, the, their mindset is going to be in the way. So if you're maybe earning 40000 a year, maybe you're not earning, maybe you're earning 75000 a year. So there's probably some limit as to, which by the way would be great for many coaches, if you're earning that much or, or that amount, let's say, then you really have to wrap your brain around who you can provide advice to. Well, you can certainly provide advice to somebody earning 100000 or maybe 150. But if this person is worth 10 or 20 or $50 million, should they listen to you? So that's the first thing. you got to wrap your brain around that. 
But the second thing I, I find even – well, and I think that's pretty interesting, and that's going to be a stop for many people. And for other people, all of a sudden, the door just opened up for them. They say, well, wow, I really see myself as – and when you see yourself as that congruently, then you can step into the role in a different way. And that's the second thing. Here's and when you I've say that, you about. mean even if you haven't yet done it, but you see yourself as it, you can then – Yeah, you really have to see yourself congruently. Okay. Right, I stick that word in there, and, and that could be a weasel word, but really means that you just believe it deep in your heart that there's right. no difference. Right, your bank account might show different, but who you show up as, you know, and that's kind of a cumbersome locution. But the way you act in the world, right, the way you act in the world is is somebody who has been there and done that. If you haven't been there or done that then somebody who has been there and done that may not want to listen to you. Mm. So you really have to, you have to have been there and done that at some level of existence. So that's one thing. The second thing is this. Here's what I found. Find that you have to have a very big vision for your clients, and typically you have to have a bigger vision for, their, for your clients than they do. And this, to me, is actually the secret to long-term prosperous uh, consulting, coaching, and advisory relationships is that when you meet a potential client, and one of the first things they do is share their vision with you. I mean, otherwise, why are you helping them? So they're going to share their vision with you. And if you take it at face value, that's one level of exchange. But there's something which is much more seductive to people, which is that you take on their vision and make it bigger. You take on their vision and make it more powerful. You take on their vision and make it more exciting. Feed it back to them and enroll them in. Now, when people get enrolled in a much bigger vision, which they always credit you for, now they're in you. And those sorry, people now that you just I lost your word. Now they're what? I said they're in love with you. They're oh, in, in love, love with, with the idea that you're selling them. Right? They fall in love with the idea, the vision that you're selling them. And that is a very powerful lever to support people with larger, you know, you said bigger clientele. And that's, to me, that's my trade secret. And I just gave it away for free to everybody listening. You know, it's duplicatable, wow. so we don't, none of us has grown poorer by that. But that's really it. And I do that with every single one of my clients, every single one. And that's just how I'm wired. I hear what you're up to, and I say, wow, so that's what you want to do? Well, we could do this. We could do that. What about this thing over here? Have you ever thought of this there? I have a client I'm working with right now. He's building a chain of stores. And he, uh, he had five stores when we met. His business was doing well, and he was netting a decent, I mean, a really decent low seven-figure income without working too hard. I said, why would you want to hire me? I said, I'm just going to make your life miserable. You have to work twice as hard as you're working now. You're going to incur debt. You're going to incur risk. I said, you're going to be. It. I said, why do you want to do this? And he said, I need something more. He said, I got to this level and I don't know where I want to go next. And I just started thinking about what was possible for his business, and I ended up creating this this approach for him to start acquiring lots of his local competitors and to start expanding geographically and to build this chain. So the chain has more than doubled in, well, more than doubled in value the first year. The first year, it went up about 120% in value. And now we're on track to do more than that this year. And it was just, I just came up with this idea. I said, well, what about this and what about that? And he got very excited and immediately jumped in and took off. 
and completely credits me with everything that he's doing. He's doing all the work. I just thought of it. So you come up, to me, that's the secret to doing business with higher-valued clients because they've already figured out how to, you know, they're not necessarily so accountable, but they know how to do the basics. They know how to block and tackle. So now you're showing them a more exciting approach to, to how their business could be, and they take it on. Amazing. That's really that's very exciting. It is. You got me now, excited. That has yeah. nothing to do with getting more clients, right? Well, that's a whole different conversation. Sure. But that's why I wanted to know which one you wanted to know about. Well, we can also have the conversation about the more clients, but I mean that was the the bigger type of clients is something that I think a lot of people think about and and wonder where that where that comes from. And so you've just answered a big part of that question. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's, it's tricky for people. It's tricky to stand outside of who you are right now and mm-hmm. become someone else. You know, when I was in, um, in, my, in my corporate career, I had this really interesting experience, which has served me incredibly well, which was that I, uh, I came to the corporate world as an, I had an art background. I was a fine art student. And, um, I made the transition into corporate America. I went from being a fine artist to being a computer programmer. And I had a couple of computer programming jobs, and now I had this job, which was sort of a bridge between programming and sales. And, and here I was wearing cheap suits. I had no idea what I was, who I was supposed to be out in the world. I knew how to program. I was pretty good at that. But what I didn't know was how to be with clients and how to make clients like me and how to get them to follow my ideas. I didn't know how to do what people do in that environment because I had no background in it. And I hadn't been in it very long. So I had this epiphany one day. I said, I'm just going to pick one or two people who I think are doing it the right way, and I'm just going to do whatever they do. Right? So that was what later became the NLP people started calling that modeling. Uh, I, I didn't have a word for it then. I just started doing it. And so I picked this guy. His name was Joe Jordan. I don't know if he's alive or dead. And, but Joe was suave. The guy was definitely suave. He looked good. He dressed well. He spoke smoothly. I said, I'm going to be him. So I just followed this guy around, and I followed him around for a year. And I, I started buying suits that looked like his. I don't know if they were as expensive, but they looked like his. And I bought shoes like his. And I, I mean, I was a little obsessive. I started cutting my hair like this guy. I started speaking in the way that he spoke. I started drinking scotch because at the time, I don't remember what I was drinking, but it wasn't scotch. But this guy drank scotch, so I drank scotch. And I just started modeling what this guy was doing. And I started, you know, I, I would go out with him on sales calls, and I would, um, I would act like he acted. So what was happening was I started getting all this feedback about how confident and smooth and, you know, all the adjectives that I was trying to model started getting fed back to me. And the more I did it, the more confident I felt. And then it got fed back to me that, wow, he's a confident young man. And, and so this really beautiful cycle of reinforcement started building up. And one day it locked in. And all of a sudden that was me. So... I mean, that's pretty weird, and it's, it's a strange story to tell, but it's served me this whole time. You know, people say, fake it till you make it. Well, you can't just fake it. You've got to fake it with feeling, and you've got to fake it with action. But you can definitely fake it, and all of a sudden, one day, it snaps in, and it's you. 
You know, it's, it's funny. I'm thinking of uh, how many millions of people have gone to say an, an Anthony Robbins weekend, where that's a big part of what he's talking about. He talks about all, yeah, all over about success leads clues, about modeling. Of course, he's an old NLP guy himself. And you're the first person I've known who's, who has a story like that that's uh, so amazing. It was just the right – I mean, I have to tell you, I probably picked up 10 years of corporateness, if one wanted that. And that served me by the well when I was in banking software. Uh, but I went from being this fairly out-of-step sort of guy – to all of a sudden I was in the world the right the way I wanted to be. And anybody can do that. You just have to but you have to set your ego aside, right? Which is the key to a lot of things. You definitely have to set your ego aside because you're taking on something else. You know, I taught myself how to sing kind of that way. You know, I was uh, I took Tell on me Sinatra. About that, that's, how does that work? So well, do you I, sound like Sinatra? No, I don't sound like. I mean, who sounds like Sinatra? But I, I mean, I taught myself. I ha, I was never a singer, but I had right. myself. I had in my mind the idea of myself as a singer, and I just listened to and I copied this guy, every nuance of every note that he did, until all of a sudden I was somebody who could sing. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it That's is. It's a great story. I wonder if I could do maybe I can do that. Why not? I could do that I could do that with my guitar playing. There you go. Well I taught myself guitar much the same way. I mean I made it up that I'm a guitar player. Until I became really? one. Yeah, I wanna be Paco I wanna be Paco de uh de Lucia. <laughs> okay. So I'm wondering if I can do that, make that jump, you know. <laughs> oh. More like blind lemon Jefferson. So. <laughs> Well, I, you know, based on the on on what you did uh, in this business modeling, I suspect you you would probably be able to pull this off as well. I think it's a lot easier to become Joe Jordan than Paco de Lucia, but maybe I don't want to argue for failure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm arguing in your behalf. I could definitely, definitely, definitely see it. I haven't. I I I've only heard you play guitar once, so I I don't know. I don't know how much you have to go, but why not? It, between me and Paco, I have a fair amount. But, you know, maybe I'll do Jack Up Pistorius and just continue playing bass. So we'll see. There you go. So uh, you, have a, you have a few books, which I have, I'm sorry to say, I've not read yet. Uh, you I, haven't I, read I, Be I, Unreasonable? What's wrong with you? I, I'm not being unreasonable enough to read it. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I do have a few books. So, so which, is the new, which is the new one? I put three so the of them. books uh, to read. The books have run out right now. You can actually stop listening to this and, and go over an order from Amazon.com is Be Unreasonable. Okay. And Be Unreasonable is far and away the best of my three books. Be yeah, Unreasonable. I, I'm, I'm making it very easy for people if you're listening to the show. On the show page, I have the, the, the books right there, pictures of them. You click on the book, takes you right to Amazon, go order. Excellent. So that's good that you did that because Be Unreasonable is the operating manual for creating breakthroughs in your business. And I think a lot of people need that. And it works whether you're a solopreneur or whether you're running a corporation, a big one. Last year I spoke uh, for Telstra, who are one of the larger phone companies in Australia. They flew me down and I spoke to their sales team and their leadership team for a couple of days two different meetings, 
and he, the CEO bought books of Be Unreasonable for everybody. They said, this is it. This is how we're going to do what we do. So, um, yeah, I recommend it highly. It's a really good book. It's got a lot of good ideas in it. And it's written in such a way that you can digest it in chunks. It's a lot of fairly short chapterlets. And each one is its own lesson. There's somehow two things in it. There's exercises. But mostly, as I said, it's an operating manual for how to create breakthroughs. Could you give me a, a, a very useful? Bit? It's very useful uh-huh. for uh, it's useful for transforming your own business, right? If you were going to do that, you know, one of the things. Well, you know, one of the biggest. First of all, the frame breaking idea comes straight out of that book, and and that's one of the things that I teach people how to do. You know, one of the things that that you can really look at is where are you compromising. And if you look at where is the business compromising and figure out what's causing the compromises and then deal with that so that you, you don't keep causing the same compromise, that's going to be transformational for any business. And it's going to allow you to get out of the ruts that you've built for yourself. That's the thing that, that I, that's my kind of my most favorite thing in the entire book is that whole notion. Of not compromising. Well, breaking compromises, not not compromising. Sometimes you sometimes you you come to compromises because you've got to deliver X and you've got to deliver Y, and you don't know how to deliver X and Y, so you meet in the middle. The problem with meeting in the middle is that meeting in, in the middle is often less than X and it's less than Y. So you're delivering some of X and some of Y, and in some cases that's just fine because you didn't need all of X and all of Y. On the other hand, sometimes the compromise has so eroded the original intent of what you were going to do that it's just like warm dishwater. And it's just not very exciting on any dimension. So now if you go back and rethink it and say, well, all right, so how do we recreate the solution that we're looking for without having the same level of compromise? I'm not saying it's easy to do, but if you can figure out how to do that, then that can be transformational for your business. You, know, you go into it with the mindset, you know what, I can have X and Y. I just haven't figured out how yet. I haven't worked hard enough to figure out how. You know, you know it's funny, what's, what's coming up in my mind from you telling me this is, is what's going on right now in, uh, in, uh, in Congress and, and the Senate with health care. Which, I, oh, by the way, I don't yeah. want to get into a political conversation, but, but as a business point of view, uh, it, it's much the same there that they, they, there's so many compromises have been made in the dialogue that, what 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 we're looking at is something so far off from what was ever hoped for. Oh, does that make sense? Yeah, it was a perfect. Yeah, oh, it's a perfect example of how the the goal of compromise has made the thing completely without value, and it's about to take a, a turn worse. I just saw something in the news today. I don't want to talk about it either, but it's about to get even worse. So, and then unfortunately, see, here's the really bad part. As it gets to the next level of worseness, it's going to pass. And then what we'll have is a, is a bill which is all costs and no benefits. So that's a perfect example of what you don't want to do, as opposed to looking at it and saying instead, how do we have X and Y? What's it going to take? So that's kind of one of my biggest things. That's like the shortest route to breakthroughs, is figure out where you're compromising in the business and then get out, you know, then say, all right, how can we have X and Y? There's another thing I'll, I'll just share with you, which is it's, 
I've written it up and be unreasonable, and something I've been thinking about a lot lately, is the distinction between between being in your comfort zone and being extraordinary. And it's a personal decision, right? It's a very personal decision. It's also a corporate decision, by the way. Mm. But it's a decision that you have to make where, you know, some people just want to be comfortable. Some people just want to be at a steady state. They don't want risks. They don't want ups and downs. And what they'd rather have is kind of steady state results and, um, Things won't be very exciting, but at least they'll be predictable, right? So that's okay, and that is a life and a business choice and a life and a business path. And then there's the other aspect, which, you know, it's opposite, and I'm just saying they're not really opposites. They actually have nothing to do with each other, and I'm setting them up as opposites just for purposes of being able to think about it. And the other is to be extraordinary, to deliver extraordinary results to your customers, deliver extraordinary results to your investors or your shareholders, deliver extraordinary results to the owners and the employees and all the stakeholders, just to be extraordinary. You know, you can think about it on a business level, you can think about it on a family level, you can think about it on a community level. You are always having this polarity between comfort level and being extraordinary. And the problem is that being comfortable almost precludes being extraordinary. Because to be extraordinary means that you're doing something which is out and beyond what is normal, right? And, mm -hmm. what's, and what's comfortable is typically things which are normal. So this is one of the things that I, I think is a real opportunity for people, which is to be able to decide where they want to be and then to consciously make the, take actions to be one or the other. You know, when I think of you know, extraordinary also, I remember Robert Kiyosaki talking about this difference between ordinary and extraordinary, and, and it's like if you put your, your your thumb and your forefinger together, there's just that little bit past what what everybody else is willing to go for. You know the difference between uh, an, a, 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 an ordinary high jump and an extraordinary high jump is might be a half an inch. Right. It's just what like is, going. I don't get what this has. To, what does this have to do with my thumb and my forefinger? Because I'm putting them together now. And I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> they, like, they, like you're so, you're, you're so, they're so not not right together, like an inch apart. You see? So uh -huh. I get it. So like, well, the, it's just the, like it's. Did you just watch the Olympics? Sure. All right. So people win, right, in races. How mm -hmm. much time do they win by? I mean, fractions of a second. Very fractions small fractions. Of a second. Amazing. What does it take to be first place in that fraction of a second? It, it takes being unbelievably extraordinary. Yeah. Brian Tracy said this years ago. He said, you know, 10% is transformative. Mm -hmm. Right? Being 10% better is transformative. My whole business building program, Business Profits Blueprint, well, it actually has a new name, Blueprints to Profits. Uh, I had a program last year called Formula 5, and I'm bringing out a new one this year called Blueprints to Profits. And Blueprints to Profits is all about getting incremental gains in multiple areas of your business. And I figured this out, which is that most people don't want to be extraordinary, by the way. Extraordinary is just what I want people to be. Most people don't want to be extraordinary. Most people want to be, you know what, what if I just do it half-assed, right? So I've built this entire coaching business program in a box, which is called Blueprints to Profits. And it's all about how you can take your company 
to double where it is in a short period of time by making small gains in multiple areas. Think about this. If things compound together, right? Think of how you impact a business. Right? If you're going if you're hired to help a business grow, what are the areas that you're going to make a difference in? And I'm talking about any business X. And the things that I, I looked for, what's the smallest set of areas that I could impact that would have a big effect on a business? So the first thing, oh, by the way, this is just a tip if you're a business coach and you want your customers to be happy with you for the rest of time, make the money when you first meet them. Don't screw around with the vision. I mean, share them a big vision. That's how you get hired, right? Mm -hmm. But don't screw around with, with anything except getting them more money up front. If you get them a bunch of extra money up front, they think you walk on water, and you can do nothing for the next two years, and they're still going to be happy. I'm not suggesting you do nothing for the next <laughs> two years, but you could. But you right. could. The key is that always get people the money up front. Don't think that they're going to sit still waiting for you to do all this preparatory stuff, and then the money's going to come later, because they're going to fire you before then. So, so my thinking is, well, first we get them some money. And we do that by fixing their margins in their business and typically by raising prices or at least charging what really should be charged. So we look at the margin area. And then we look at taking the existing customer base and adding more revenue to it. So getting customers to spend more, basically. Then we look at getting them more business opportunities. Then we teach them how to close those new business opportunities better. And then we look at the overall personal and team performance of the company. So there's five areas. And any one of those areas can be transformative for a business. But I figured out that, wow, you know, what if people didn't have any time or energy to really learn anything new? But if you gave them some specific techniques and tactics, maybe they could execute them and maybe they could get some results. So I said, I've got five areas. What's it going to take to double a business? Because the five areas interlock. In other words, if I raise prices and then I sell more stuff to people or create more opportunities for them to buy, they're buying at a higher price. So those things are going to multiply each other. And then if we generate more business opportunities, well, that's just going to add more people to that mix. You know, we can sell them more. And then if we close those new business opportunities at a higher rate, that has a multiplicative effect. And then if we get the business operating overall at a higher performance level, then it's just going to rock. So I figured this out that we could get a measly 15% increase in each of those areas and the business would double. So I taught people how to have that level of increase in each of five areas, one a month for five months. And they double their businesses. And it's absolutely astounding. So what I so I refer to this as the uh, it was the business growth it was the business growth program for slackers, and the tagline for for blueprints to profits is the system is brilliant so you don't have to be. Nice. So the key, right? Isn't that cool? That's so the very key cool. is that you can you can actually get huge impact in your business by making small changes to it, and I think that's a very exciting idea. So I was looking at any way to get people's results to be extraordinary, and it all has to do with pushing them at least a little bit out of their comfort zone. Pricing is one of those things. Pricing is one of those things where people are very comfortable where they are, and they get really freaky uh, and tweaky if you tell them that they need to raise their prices. They think they're going to lose all their customers, and it's just not true.
do they usually get more? Yeah, sometimes they get more. Sometimes they have fewer, but they always make more money. Now, I say always. That's not true. Some people have raised their prices and their businesses have tanked. So, you know, you do have to pay attention to what's happening. But more often than not, far more often than not, people end up making substantially more money. Or the worst case is they make the same amount of money, but they work a lot less, which for some people would be perfect. Absolutely. Have you read, I'm sure you've read the book Good to Great. I did read Good to Great. You're sort of reminding me of some of the things you're talking about. It's making me think about that book. You think? Yeah. I, I worry about that book. I worry about that book a little bit. But um, I don't read a lot of business books. I read the bestest of bestsellers because I want to know what other people are thinking about. Right. But i got to tell you, I'm more interested in reading philosophy, religion, science, paranormal stuff. I love reading New Age things. I read a lot of history. And I find that all those things give me better decision-making. Well, you know, I'll tell you what I'm reading right now. I just started a very long book. Um, you probably have heard of it called Wealth of Nations. That our system of capitalism oh, it's an amazing is built book. On. Yeah. Yeah, it's a totally amazing book. Yeah, people don't uh, – they go, wow, you know, somebody bought one of my books recently online. And one of my older ones. And he drops me a note. And he said, oh, I didn't, he dropped it to my assistant. He said, oh, I didn't realize Paul wrote this in, in 2000. Um, you know, it's, it's probably pretty out of date. I, I was really hoping for something since the world changed in 2001. Hmm. And we just wrote him back, say, you know, we'll be happy to give you a refund. But truth is, there's books from a thousand years ago that are still relevant. Absolutely. It's a very, very strange comment. Yeah, other than the, the, the language, I mean, one of my favorite books is uh, Think and Grow Rich. And, um, great book. Great book. Now, if you read the book, of course, there's a lot of language and references in there that are, <laughs> you know, nobody could write some of those things today. I like Wallace Waddle's The Science yes. of Getting Rich. Yes, I have that uh, as a download. That's a terrific book. Well, that's the uh, basis uh, of the There's a lot of those. Yes, it's very much law of attraction stuff. There's a lot of law of attraction in in Think and Grow Rich as well, but Science of Getting Rich is more so. The uh, the woman who created The Secret actually credits that specific book as being the book that caused her to do this whole thing. Oh, I I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. That's that's the book that somebody gave her. It was a beaten up old copy. Oh, that's the book? That's the book. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I had no idea. It's a great book, and and there's a there's a narrated version of it by Bob Proctor, mm. which I only have one chapter of, and I can't find the rest of the book. I, no one's selling it. I think it was published by Nightingale Conant, but I I can't seem to find it. But I love all those those motivational things from the 30s and the 20s. Terrific stuff. Did you have anything by Mr. Nightingale himself? Um, yeah, well, the strangest secret is is the best thing. Mm-hmm. The strangest secret is was actually recorded as a vinyl disc, you know, an LP. Sure. And it was it it I believe it was the largest selling, probably until the secret, the largest selling motivational program of all time. And I believe it was the first motivational recording. And Earl Nettigan, or Earl Nettigan's voice makes me sound like I'm a soprano. <laughs> he, says, he does have quite a, quite a voice. He says, 
He says the strangest secret in the world today is that you are what you think about all day long. Mm. And it's you know it's this little forty five minute recording and it's very powerful. Yeah, I actually have a lot of his recordings, and I, I love them. I do have a, I do have several, and you you know I'm thinking now it's time to bring them out again after this conversation. By the way, speaking of recordings, are your books available on Audible yet? They aren't. I've never done them. Although, you know, that's another project that could be easily done. Right now, I'm in the middle of recording. I've got 24 hours of recording to do for Blueprints to Profits. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thought of recording something else is not really on my mind, because after that, I've got another project to do, which is called Lifetime Licensing Income. So uh, there's a lot of recording in my near future. So I'm not sure be unreasonable as that. But you know what? It's not a bad idea. My publisher controls the rights, and, and they haven't seemed to be interested, but... I had a C. Well, I'm a big, big fan of that. I have uh, Audible. I have. Uh, I could really do nothing but but go away and listen to books for the next year. That's how many I have. It's, it's, I'm, I'm so I have a question. Behind. Do you yeah. listen? I do. do. You listen to them at no, at wait. Do you listen to them at normal speed or do you speed them up? No, I've never tried speeding them up. Why? I speed them up. I speed everything up about 185%. So it, it, well, why? Because I don't get bored. Most people speak too slowly for me. And, you know, most people reading, reading things tend to speak slowly. And I find it incredibly painful to listen to. So I take them and I speed them up. It cuts down the time of listening almost in half. And, and I find it more engaging. Plus, you have to pay harder attention because things are talking pretty fast. So you've got to listen really carefully and your mind doesn't wander as much. And um, so, uh, for me, that really works. So, uh, you have, so you're also a fan of that great uh, motivational speaker, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Alvin, Alvin, <laughs> yes. I'm if done. you get good software, the way it works is it cuts out the spaces between the words. Ah. So it doesn't raise. It doesn't. It doesn't raise the pitch. It's not like <laughs> That's actually, actually where my mind went when you said that. Yeah, it actually sounds like this. It sounds like there's no space between the words, and it just comes out to the same tonality but faster. Wow. Okay, so you've just put a whole new thought uh, uh, into my head that was never there before. Uh, and that's great. Because I do my if, best. Uh, you, you're doing a great job. Now I could get through, because uh, I'm, I'm seriously hundreds of hours of stuff that I have, have yet to get to. And I, I tend to be, well, I'm paying for it, so I'm going to get the... I'm not going to get the three-hour version. I'm going to get the 36-hour version. Yeah, I, find, I would rather have the three-hour version. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm starting that now. I have, my last few selections have been the three-hour version or the 45-minute version. I prefer short. But I would, uh, I would love to hear uh, your, your stuff in, in book form, well, whether it's you it's with your melodious be. voice or somebody else. You, know, you can also get somebody else to do yeah. it. Yeah. I just listened to a program by that was narrated by Peter Coyote. You know, the actor oh, Peter Coyote. he does everything on the on. Oh, he's wonderful. Does he do a lot of that? He does. Yes, all those uh, things on uh, the Civil War stuff, and uh, he does a lot of stuff on public television. His his voice is uh, all over the place on that. Oh, I didn't know that. I, yeah. The first time I've heard. Oh I, yeah, he's, I don't listen he's to audiobooks. Cool. Well, that's good. He did a very nice job with the four agreements, which I liked a lot. See now, there's enough. That's now I know what my next download is. 
Peter Coyote's yeah, a nice book. I love that it, book. It, it's a lot of Werner Erhardt's ideas, and I, but I think it's very well presented. That's actually a book uh, was given to me as a gift by a woman who said uh, she give this, gives this book as a gift on a regular basis. She had given, that was, I was the 12th person she gave it to. And so you weren't like, special. She wanted you to know you weren't special. Uh, no, the twelfth person is always special. Everybody knows. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh, okay. <laughs> and and uh, as a result, that, that's now my uh, pay it forward book too. So that, that's a book I've given away a number of times. Uh-huh. And I always, uh, in fact, uh-huh. I, I that's one of the uh, almost every client I've ever had. That's been one of their assignments. It, at some point, has been really uh, read this book. Yeah. Okay. It's that good. I mean, it's, and it's and it's a book you can read it uh, in a day. Yes, you can definitely read it in a day. I listened, I listened to it on a plane flight. So guess what, Paul? What's that? We are down, believe it or not, we're down to our last minute on the show. Uh, usually I get okay. a little, uh, yeah, I just got the 90-second warning. So I, wow. So quickly, anything you'd like to uh, let anybody know about, now's a good time. So, I, you know, I've got a whole bunch of products and things coming up, and I, and I don't even want to give everybody a whole big pitch about it. So here's what I would say, which is if you're interested in finding out more about what I'm up to, go to paullemberg.com. That's P-A-U-L-L-E-M as in Mary, B-E-R-G, paullemberg.com, and sign up for my newsletter, Extraordinary Results. And that will put you on my mailing list. And as these ne- new products come out and these new programs come out over the next few months, you'll find out about them. I also have a blog at that same site, paullemberg.com slash blog, and every week or two I post some pretty interesting videos out there, which are things that are designed to impact people's thinking and impact their businesses. And if you are a coach or consultant, there's a lot of material that you can take away and apply to to your customers. So I would go to paullemberg.com, I would sign up, and, uh, and then find out about what's happening. So that's what I should tell people. Okay. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for being with us today. And thanks, everybody, for for being with me. My pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat station. Have an outstanding week and good night. Good night.